Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in lacrosse. And, uh, wow, uh, I don't think anybody quite expected that one to happen. A 38-10 to beatdown of the Green Bay Packers by the hands of the New York Giants out at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. There's uh, certainly a lot of things we can point to and discuss about what went wrong yesterday. And uh, hopefully we can try to figure out some answers as to how they might be able to improve this going forward as the playoffs are quickly approaching, and hopefully the Green Bay Packers will be a part of that. Uh, with that, we'll bring in Matt McLean here. Uh, <laughs> Matt, I'm at a little bit of a loss for words. It feels almost like the inverse of the last time the Packers were on Sunday Night Football, where everything went right against the Houston Texans, and you weren't quite sure why. In this case, everything went wrong, and we're looking for answers. Yeah, you're right, and I don't really know how exactly how I feel about this game even yet. I, I don't know if I need to be extremely worried about it, or, you know, my initial feeling was like, eh, this is kind of a throwaway game. You know, I really don't know how much this means, but at the same time, there was a lot of big-time weaknesses that got exposed that aren't going to stop being exposed as we get to the playoffs. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's kind of hard to gauge exactly what went wrong, but everything did. So mm-hmm. um, uh, hopefully they can get some of these things corrected, although a lot of them seem almost incorrectable. Yeah, a lot of the things that happened yesterday were things that we have mentioned on the on the podcast and others have mentioned uh, throughout the media that have been weaknesses for this team all along. I mean, we knew this team couldn't run. They had a, a pretty they had a very good passing game, but a limited passing game. They have some injuries, they have some young players, their offensive line is not very good, and almost all of those things got exposed yesterday by the Giants and the thing that is most concerning for me just to kind of start off is that it looked like the exact same game from last January. The way the Giants played us, the way we played them. You lost by 17 points back in January. Why didn't you learn anything from that game? That's the thing I'm wondering is it looked so similar to last January in almost every way on both sides. I don't understand what was going through the minds of the coaching staff for the Green Bay Packers. And if I am Tom Coughlin and the Giants, about a quarter and a half through that game, I had to be giddy thinking that they tried to play the same game plan against me that allowed us to beat them 37-20 to in their own building last year. Right. right. It was almost identical. And how do you not switch something up? I felt like the play calling from McCarthy was almost identical. And, you know, I felt like the defensive strategy against Eli was almost identical. It's kind of strange, you're right, how you would come in with that same game plan after you had probably your worst game in the last two years. You come in and do the exact same thing against that team. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're like the spark that the Giants need, it seems like, lately. <laughs> we're the ones who kind of get them going. I mean, I know we beat them last year in the regular season, but they've been playing terrible for, what, three, four weeks now. Mm-hmm. And it's not like we came into the game saying, you know, oh, they don't have a good pass rush or anything. We'll be fine with our offensive line. We knew what, what they were going to do, but, yeah, I don't know if it was game plan or what, but it was it was disastrous on pretty much all fronts. And that kind of goes into your initial point is you're not sure how to feel about this game, and I'm not really sure either, because the Giants had played so poorly, and I know they were coming off a of bye week, and teams tend to be a little bit more energized and a little bit more well-prepared uh, when they come off of a bye week, but they got throttled by Cincinnati two weeks ago. And, I mean, if you want to go by the old schoolyard logic, that means Cincinnati would beat the Packers by what, about 60 points? But but obviously yeah. nobody believes that. I, I think that might be the nature of the NFL right now, but I I really don't know. It's 
this kind of stuff happens because the teams are so close, and literally like one or two weaknesses can turn it into a rout against you, especially you know if you get down early. But this doesn't happen to the Packers, and I guess I'll just have some quick stats here. Uh, this was the worst loss to the Packers since December 23rd, 2007, when they lost 35-7 to to the Bears, which felt uh, kind of similar to this, where the teams were kind of close, and then it just got out of hand really fast, and then the, the team kind of quit in the second half. This is only the eighth Packers loss by 28 or more points since 1990. Uh, it's actually the fourth under McCarthy, so obviously that guy's got to go if he's got four of the eight uh, 28 point losses. Obviously, I'm kidding. Uh, only the third loss by th- these two are impressive. Only the third loss by 14 or more points since Rodgers became the starter, which is the fewest in the NFL. That's unbelievable to me. And only the sixth loss by 10 or more points since Rodgers became the starter, which is tied with Pittsburgh for the fewest in the NFL. So it's weird that it happened to this team. I guess they were due, if you want to go by that, to to maybe make ourselves feel a little bit better. But to see it happen against a pretty prominent opponent in a big-time game this late in the season, despite all the injuries, you could have lost, but you didn't have to lose 38-10. to Right. And there wasn't a whole lot of, of good things to take away from the game, too. Yeah, it's uh, you know, those stats maybe are kind of telling. You know, especially for a team like you would expect a team like Pittsburgh to be there with that great defense, but that's impressive for the the Aaron Rodgers stat that we've been in. We've been in pretty much every game since he's been here. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it just seemed very unlike them, and it, I'm still kind of befuddled that I know the offensive line was terrible and the run game was awful, but how did we not put up more than ten points? I mean, that defense is just not that good, and we just couldn't get anything going at all. It's, you know, I. Play calling was kind of strange at times. It was almost like we came into this game and we got going. It's all of a sudden like, wait a minute, they're gonna they're gonna rush our passer? Like we weren't ready for this <laughs> yeah. at all. So it's like every route was straight down the field. They weren't helping out Rodgers at all. I know they were trying to establish a run game maybe to help a little bit, but that didn't do anything because we only get two yards of carry. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, I I don't know. <laughs> like you said, I don't really know what to take away from this other than just miserable, miserable, miserable on every front, basically. Yeah, and. I was actually going to start this, not not start this podcast, but at some time in this podcast, when I was thinking about the game yesterday, and I'm always hypercritical, I was going to just talk about how I didn't think Aaron Rodgers played very well at all, and how he was kind of the tipping point, and that his interception kind of was the start of the snowball that ended up crushing the Packers yesterday. But then I was kind of fast-forwarding through the highlights on my TiVo after I got back today, and... I don't really know what he could have done, quite honestly. I That interception was just a great defensive play. I mean, he, he pretty much played it exactly how you would, it looks like, from that coverage. I know James Jones looked open, but if he throws to James Jones, uh, I, I forget, was that Webster who intercepted it, probably stops and knocks it down anyways. I mean, yeah. that's just a good defensive play. Those happen sometime. Um, the big ones were the third down sacks, and I looked at that third and 11 sack uh, that was on the first drive of the second half, and I looked at that third and three sack, which set up the missed field goal by Mason Crosby. And both of them, Rodgers drops back, and every single route, on the third and three, you have Jordy Nelson running a deep out at about 12 yards. You have James Jones looking what looked like probably a 10-yard out and then trailing up the sideline. You have Jermichael Finley running a sluggo in the middle of the field, and then you have Randall Cobb just kind of doing a quick out and standing there, and then Kuhn, Fain blocking, and then going out for a pass pattern. And by the time Kuhn's out in the flat and open, the pocket has completely collapsed. Uh, So that's like a a microcosm of kind of everything. It looked like in every one of those sacks you had people deep. And even in the second quarter they had a couple of good drives, they protected, 
but nobody's open. And from the looks of what I saw, just limited on the TV copy, it looked like all they did was rush with their front four and play zone defense, which is exactly what they did for a, a very successful game plan back in January. And it's almost like you said, McCarthy and company completely were not ready for that. How can you not be ready for that when they used that to beat you last year? Yeah, and I don't get where the, I mean, we've talked about this all year, how it seems like the routes are, the route combinations are very odd for a team with a bad offensive line. How do you not have more guys running slants or, you know, just quick ends or even just like skinny posts, something mm-hmm. where Rodgers at least has a chance to release the ball quickly. It's like you said on that specific play, he's got to wait at least five seconds if your only short route is Kuhn, mm-hmm. you know, he's got to fake the block and then come out of the backfield. That's it. If that's all that you have for a quick route, nothing across the middle. Nope. I mean, that's what we've kind of been built ourselves on. I know it's been less with McCarthy, and it was more with Sherman, kind of those quick slants and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's kind of bizarre how he doesn't seem to to use those very often. I mean, you have to adjust. How do you not take a, a team that can't block and just keep running the same routes over and over again and not give you know, Rodgers really doesn't have a chance at all if that's all they're doing. You mean a team with three elite pass rushers that are all pro bowlers? You shouldn't run... Uh, slant and goes with your tight end when, when you have a bad offensive line against three of the best pass rushers in the NFL. You're telling me that's a bad strategy? Yeah, well, maybe you have one guy do something like that. Well, I guess I wouldn't have Finley be the one doing that anyways. But but have somebody. I don't. I know Jordy's not much of a slot guy, but seriously, you think he couldn't do that? Send him across the middle a little bit. I know they're expecting Cobb to do that, but you can't tell me that these other guys, even Jones, you can't tell me that they can't come across the middle and pass mm-hmm. if uh, if they can then that's not saying a whole lot about you know how good they are I guess if all they can do is run straight down the sidelines and catch one occasionally yeah and James Jones that's a interesting thing that you uh, brought up he had no catches yesterday and from the looks of the, the stats I have in front of me he had no targets uh, yesterday oh. so I I don't know what's going on with that Randall Cobb led in the targets again and Caleb had actually texted me during the game uh, uh, Caleb Pike one of our you know a friend of ours and a, and a great listener of ours he had actually texted me that it appeared that he was kind of forcing it to Randall Cobb a little bit. Of course, he was trying to stick it to Cobb when uh, when that interception occurred. So I don't know if there, we were on to something a little bit last week, but it almost feels like they have redesigned this offense to make Randall Cobb the feature guy, and if he can't get open, they don't have anything. And I don't know, and, and that might be too simple to say that, but we talked about this earlier in the year during the San Francisco game where it really appears that this coaching staff and even the players are just so darn stubborn that yeah. they literally think that their stuff is so good that if they just do it against any opponent that it will always be successful if they just execute. I admire the philosophy, but if you stick to that, it's not a philosophy anymore. It becomes something more, and then you're going to lose football games against teams like the New York Giants, which even coming into this game, everybody knew this is a horrible matchup for the Green Bay Packers. It always has been. A team that can rush with their front four, and everybody knows in the league now, if you rush with your front four and you can put pressure on Rodgers and stay in zone defense, he will take sacks before he'll turn the ball over. And you could beat the Packers that way, and at the very least, you can make it a lot easier for your team to win because you don't have to score as many points. But... How do you not adjust? You can't play the same game you played against the Cardinals against a team like the Giants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even, like I had just said briefly before here, it's they, they aren't even targeting Jordy Nelson, it seems like, very often during the game. Like, you talked about Cobb getting all these targets, Jones not getting any. 
Finley getting a few, but they're not even really utilizing Jordy, and I and I don't think it's really on purpose, but I think it's like you said. The defenses know exactly what's coming. I mean, they know what kind of routes he's going to run. He's not going to come across the middle and run a slant or a short route. Mm-hmm. All they have to do is just cover him over the top and cover him with the, with the corner in the zone, and, you know, he's pretty much useless for that. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, you're right, and we've... We had a five-game winning streak, but really it wasn't that impressive. We didn't beat anybody very good. We played the same game against all of them, pretty much underwhelming, mm-hmm. um, but getting by against some bad teams, and then we tried to run the exact same game plan against the Giants last night and finally running into a decent team, mm-hmm. uh, and we paid for it. And it, I don't know if they need to start diversifying things a little bit or, or exactly what you can do because they're so limited because of that offensive line, I guess, but... Mm-hmm. Um, just really coming out with the same game plan week after week. It just doesn't seem to work. No, and, uh, yeah, you brought up the point about the five-game win streak, and even incorporating the rest of the season, who have they really beat that was that impressive so far this year? I mean, it's basically a four-game season so far in terms of decent opponents, and they lost three of them. (laughs) I mean, or or maybe five if you want to even throw Seattle in there. They lost four of the five games that they had against decent teams this year. And maybe they shouldn't have lost to Seattle, but they would have beat them 12-7. That's not exactly a, a, a triumphant performance. And that was basically the same game as the Giants game, just a less potent offense for Seattle. I mean, the, the front four was doing the same thing. Our offense was doing the same thing. Just they couldn't put up enough points, but it was basically the same game as the Giants game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, I... I don't know. I can't. I, I really can't put it into words. It, it's just one of those things that even driving home from work today, trying to think about some of the things that I wanted to cover in this podcast, it almost felt like it didn't happen. You don't see this team just get run off the field like that uh, under McCarthy and especially with Rodgers at quarterback. But, man, the Giants found all the holes, and maybe they got the book on the Green Bay Packers. But you know what? I think the whole NFL needs to get together and start pulling stuff on the Giants because, gosh, is that team annoying. I don't really hate anybody on that team. I, I don't think they're a dirty team. I think Coughlin's a good guy. I think Eli Manning, if I had to pick one guy in the NFL to hang out with, I'd probably want to hang out with him. But, gosh, I'm just sick of this team. <laughs> just just meandering through the season and then deciding to play. And when they do decide to play, as they've shown, they're one of the best teams in the league. Yeah, and I think the thing that shocks me the most is that defense, I mean, the front four, has, obviously they have a lot of great athletes, but they haven't really done much this season. Mm-hmm. And that secondary has been one of the worst in the league. And all of a sudden you tell me they get Kenny Phillips back, and now all of a sudden they're elite and <laughs> shut down one of the best offenses in the league. It's it's just so frustrating to me how it, it almost seems like it's their game plan to not really fight in the be- in this part of the season. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden towards the end, all right, let's turn it on. And maybe they know they're good enough that they can get away with that. But it almost like a philosophy, not really just a fluke at this point. Yeah, including yesterday's romp over the Green Bay Packers, the New York Giants are, at least I think this is including yesterday's game, 25th in the league in pass defense, 16th in rushing, uh, but they're 9th in points allowed, so that's pretty good, but 23rd in total yards. Um, I don't get it. I've been trying to figure out this Giants team for four and a half seasons. I don't understand. I guess I'll just have to let it be. <laughs> yeah. It's going to keep doing this year after year, so I guess we better get used to it. Oh, if they win another Super Bowl as like a 10-6 and six team, yeah. <laughs> I might have to find something else to do on Sunday. All right, well, let's talk about some of the things that the Giants did well, um, or I guess some more things the Packers did poorly, uh, flipping it around to the Giants' offense versus the Packers' defense. Obviously, the Packers' two best defensive players were out of the game in Clay Matthews and Charles Woodson. 
so the Giants were able to exploit them a little bit. Uh, it felt like another Dom Capers special with a ton of zone defense and not a lot of pressure, and when he did try to pressure, uh, nothing happened. I guess, what was your overall assessment of the defense, Matt? I, I really don't know who to place the blame on to even give you a starting uh, talking point here, so I guess it's up to you. What did you think was the worst part? Uh, I'm going to agree with kind of what you said at first. It just seems like that same kind of Dom Capers game. We've talked about it countless times. We've seen it over and over again. But it's that same game where nobody really stood out as playing bad, but it's just they could do whatever the heck they wanted. You know, everybody they're throwing to is open. They're just going to run right up the middle. I guess I didn't really notice anybody that got, you know, beat a ton. I mean, I think Devon House had a really good game. I think Casey Hayward played really well. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Morgan Burnett looked awful. <laughs> and I, I know that I just think I'm expecting him to always be awful at this point. Yeah, and I guess we do have to expect that. But, you know, he looked terrible. I guess that's the one that really stood out to me. And the defensive line didn't get anything done. But it just seems like it's more, you know, I it seems easy to blame it on Dom because this is that same game, that same kind of zone we've seen. But at the same time, when he, like you said, when he's sending pressure, they're not getting home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think once we get some of these guys back, it'll help. But, you know, we've seen this with a full roster too. So, I, you know, it's kind of hard to tell exactly where to put the blame. But it's it can probably go around the whole team, I would think. Yeah, I think I'll have to agree with that. It's uh, <laughs> It just wasn't their day in, in any way. I agree with House and Hayward. They both look pretty good. Uh, I know House got away with a couple that could have been touchdowns against him, but you know that's going to happen as a young player. And Casey Hayward still looks really, really good. Uh, I mean, sometimes as a defense you're not going to be very good, especially when you don't have your two best players. But, yeah, just another game where they could seemingly do whatever they wanted. And <laughs> lucky they w- weren't able to connect much later. It could have been uh, even worse because they had a chance to score some more points down in the fourth quarter there. <laughs> I guess one thing I wanted to bring up is it wasn't like a Steelers or kind of level or a Jim Schwartz kind of level, but did you feel that the Packers were getting – I know it's got to suck to be getting beat that badly on national TV, but you don't – typically see the Packers get that chippy towards the end of a game, and I know McMillan especially had a pretty cheap shot on Martellius Bennett. You had some other guys pushing and shoving after the play. Did you think that was over over the line, or was that just kind of your normal level of frustration getting beat 38-10? Yeah, I don't think it was really over the line, but I think what makes it seem like it maybe was is that's so uncharacteristic of a McCarthy team. I mean, if you can say anything about the Packers, it's that, it's that they're always a complete class team. Like you know, even after the Seattle thing, having those players come back out, which we talked about before, it's that kind of stuff. It, McCarthy really runs a tight ship, and for that kind of stuff to start happening, it's it's maybe not over the line. And you're going to see that when pretty much any team is losing like that, but you don't see it from us generally. So it was a little disappointing, but I guess it's to be expected, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's more of some of the young guys, like you said, McMillan hasn't been around the team very long, so um, maybe that changes after another year in the system or maybe after a talking to from McCarthy today or something. Yeah, I would hope so, and I guess there's not a lot of uh, sample size for how the Packers react when they're down by 28 points. That's true. So, uh, I mean, maybe maybe they normally would have acted like that, but I don't think it was over the line like you notice for... I mean, even the Lions, you know, on Thanksgiving when it was a close game, just acting like knuckleheads nonstop. Um, I didn't really notice that. I just thought it's not Packers like, not to take a moral authority or anything for our football team, but uh, typically, like you said, you don't see that out of them. All right, I guess let's try to make some kind of meaning about this because that's what everybody's been doing today. Is there anything you can learn about this game and what it means for the future of this team as the playoffs approach? Does this game make you rethink your position that this team is a championship contender? 
You know, it kind of does, and I'm kind of shocked to hear myself say that because I feel like once we get Woodson and, and Clay back and some of these other guys and Jennings, I feel like we're going to be a really good team. Mm-hmm. But it's these matchups that we run into which just kill us. I mean, when we went on our Super Bowl run, really, other than Pittsburgh, maybe you could maybe throw Chicago in there too, but they kind of slowed down our offense a little bit too. These matchups were, like we had talked about, the front four putting a ton of pressure on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. If we hit one of these teams, we're in big-time trouble. Mm-hmm. I think we're still good enough to win a Super Bowl if we get hot, but if we run into New York or San Francisco in the playoffs, I'm not going to feel too good about their chances winning that game, mm-hmm. uh, especially at this point, sort of looking like we would probably have to go on the road to one of those two teams. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's... I feel like this team is still very good and still a potential championship team, but I feel like everybody knows how they can expose us. We Nothing new came from yesterday. We didn't all of a sudden say, man, this offensive line, I guess, just really isn't that good. It just really got exposed again, and I, I think that everybody knows how to expose us. And there's just matchups for us, which we can't overcome. Even when we played Kansas City last year, mm-hmm. it was the same kind of matchup. They were a bad team, but just a good matchup. Mm-hmm. We just hit these matchups that we can't overcome, and you know that's big-time trouble. So, like I said, I think we're still a potential Super Bowl team, but we got to be careful with who we run into in the playoffs because I, I really don't think I would pick them to beat a San Francisco or New York again. Yeah, I mean, i got to agree with almost everything you said there, and I was more skeptical than you were to begin with. I mean, I wasn't even confident enough to say I thought the Packers were going to go to the NFC Championship game in our midseason show. But the big problem that you run into now is that you've lost to San Francisco pretty decisively, even though the score didn't look that way. You got crushed by the Giants. Those are two teams you're fighting for with playoff positioning. Getting a first-round bye is going to be almost impossible at this point for the Packers. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to beat the Bears in Soldier Field at this point to be able to win the division, which is going to be tough. Always is anyways, but it's going to be tough. I feel about this team the way I feel about most of Bo Ryan's good Badger teams. If you brought Kentucky to a neutral site to play the Badgers, I think the Badgers have a reasonably good chance to beat them. If you brought Duke or if you brought North Carolina, I think they could beat them. I don't think they could beat all three in a row and win a championship. Yeah, That's kind of how I feel about this Packer team. I think they could whoop the Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. I think that they could take any of those other teams that are in contention for the wild card and whoop them. I think they'd have a chance to beat either Chicago or the Giants or the Niners. But if they have to play more than one of those three teams, I don't think they can win a championship. And quite honestly, despite what they did to Houston, I don't know if they could beat them again. And I know a lot of people I've seen today have been talking about things like, well, you know, this is maybe what they need. They're getting a lot of guys back. They were injured. This is the kick in the pants they need to go back to the drawing board. Even if you go back to the drawing board, you still have Marshall Newhouse as your left tackle. Right. You still have TJ Lang as your right tackle. You still have no running game. These are not things that are going away, even with the new guys. So... You might be, you could go back to the draw. I bet you the Miami Dolphins have gone back to the drawing board a ton of times in the last 10 years. <laughs> if yeah. you don't have the horses, you're not winning the race. And they have a lot of really good players, but I don't think they can hide those guys for the whole playoffs. And so I, without explicitly stating it, I'm, I'm pretty close to throwing in the towel on the 2012 Packers as a actual Super Bowl contender. You're right, and you can't you can't uh, overcome the bad offensive line. You're not getting any fresh players in there who are going to step in and be awesome. 
I think the only thing to look forward to before I'm really willing to write them off, which I honestly I probably would never do, being the type of Packer fan I am anyways, <laughs> but um, you know, getting some of these guys back from injury at least helps hide that stuff a little bit more, I guess. Mm-hmm. You play a little bit better on other fronts, and it, you kind of don't notice how bad you're on a, you are on other fronts as much, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or you can at least make up for some of those mistakes if you have a Clay Matthews or a Charles Woodson over there getting some interceptions or some sacks, or Greg Jennings catching a touchdown pass that you know maybe James Jones didn't get open for or something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think. With some of these guys back, I think that they're still good enough to do it. I'm still going to stick to that at this point. But you're right, those weaknesses aren't going to go away. The offensive line is going to be bad, and it's going to get picked on the rest of the season. And I think some of our young TBs are probably going to keep getting picked on. Mm-hmm. But as long as Rodgers is Rodgers and doesn't play like he played last night, and the defense steps up a little bit, gets some guys back, I think we still have a, a reasonable chance. I'm not saying they're Super Bowl favorites, but I think they have a reasonable chance to get hot and make a run. Yeah, and I hope you're right. I mean, even if you look at 2010... They have a chance if they can play defense. Uh, if you look at the Bears, that was almost a completely a defensive win. I know the offense moved it, but they had some turnovers. The Philadelphia game, they only scored 21 points. Um, you know, they were very hot and cold in the Super Bowl. The defense is what won it for them, and they still have most of those guys here. So hopefully, I mean, it would be nice to have a Nick Collins or something, but right. um, I hope you're right. And... I don't know. I, I I'm always been the the more pessimistic of the two of us, anyways. But uh, it's at this point, if they won the Super Bowl and they didn't have a G on their helmet, I would be treating them like the 2011 New York Giants. Yeah. <laughs> so let's hope they can turn it around and put some wins together. They got some winnable games. They got three of their last five at Lambeau Field. So there honestly is no reason this team shouldn't make the playoffs. Uh, But at that point, it's anybody's guess as to what the ultimate fate is going to be of the 2012 Packers. All right, moving on now, we're going to actually go to our Facebook page, because I know you guys have been leaving some great comments there over the past couple of weeks, and we haven't had much chance to talk about them in the past couple of episodes. So we're going to address all of those right now, and we're going to go to our page. And we actually put something out there today, but you guys had also put some comments on there earlier. So I'll start with the question that I had put out there this afternoon, which we had a a really nice response on, so thanks everybody for reading that, and uh, thanks especially to those who responded to it. I had put out there that the Packers suffered their worst loss in five years. Does last night's loss change your opinion on the team? How far can this team go this season? Uh, Jason Chastain, one of our uh, very loyal listeners, said, Lots of problems last night just piled up to create a mess. No O-line protection, which led to Rodgers panicking. Not to mention the defense couldn't stop the Giants from doing pretty much whatever they wanted. It'll be interesting to see what changes, if any, this huge loss brings about. Bethany Drews commented, another one of our great listeners, and shares the last name with me, so you might know she's related to me. (laughs) It's confusing because that first TD to Jordy looked so effortless. After that, everything went downhill fast. We couldn't protect Rodgers. We couldn't stop the run. We couldn't stop the pass. And during all this, we kept incurring stupid penalties, which we didn't talk about. Uh, We fell apart. I don't think this spells the end to our season. The Giants have always been a thorn in our side. It might be more psychological than anything. I think the Giants came together and we fell apart, but it can be fixed. And then we also have a comment from Drew Kucher, who we know is a very loyal fan and has uh, decided to chime in here on Facebook, so we thank you for that. I agree 100% with Bethany's comment. The Giants have given us a run for our money lately, and with us having so many costly injuries, Clay, Chuck, Sam Shields, Greg Jennings, the game had the makings of a Packer beatdown. 
We do have time to fix things, and hopefully we can get healthy before it's too late, so I don't think it's the end of the season for the pack just yet. With that being said, if our O-line doesn't step up, there is no way we can get past the 49ers and or Giants with the pass rush they bring. One thing I didn't agree with on McCarthy's end was having Mason Crosby kick that 50-yarder in the beginning of the game. I understand he's trying to boost Crosby's confidence, but don't do it on such a long-range field goal. And lastly, we need to get rid of Jermichael Finley because I'm sick of watching him drop balls while <laughs> acting like he is the king of the world. He is the worst. And Bethany agreed with Drew saying Mason sucks lately, and he especially sucks outside of 50 yards, which they showed yesterday, uh, less than 50% career on that. And Finley stinks. Who cares if he's a huge tight end if he can't catch the damn ball? And when he does, he's so afraid of getting hit that he's useless anyways. So it's great to see the passion from uh, our sister Bethany and our great fans Drew and Jason. Uh, We want to thank everybody who read that and commented especially, and uh, thanks for taking part. Uh, Matt, I guess what are your comments on some of the things that our uh, listeners have have chimed in on there? Well, I think most of it you can't really argue with. I mean, we don't maybe go that that passionate on the show as that much. We try not to rip on guys like Finley really <laughs> that much. But um, I completely agree with what Drew said about the 50. It was a 55-yard field goal, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And I saw that. I was like, what the heck are you doing? How do you not feel more comfortable trying to just throw you know throughout uh, or let Rodgers throw the ball? Or and it was only three yards to... for the first down. Right, you need three yards for the first down, and you're really going to kick a 55-yarder with somebody whose confidence is already shattered. Mm-hmm. You're just going to make it worse. There's, what, probably like a 2% chance he makes that at this point. Mm-hmm. He can never hit hardly from 55 yards, and this is amidst a huge slump. I thought that was an absolute terrible decision, and I was really shocked when I saw McCarthy do that. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of walked away at that time because I thought they were just going to try to pooch punt, and all of a sudden I heard that Crosby was coming out and had to run back into the room, and it's like, what in God's name is he doing it? I was absolutely shocked about that. I don't know about you, but I guess if he would have made it slump over most likely, but I didn't think he had really any shot at making that one. No, I didn't either, and they showed the stat. He's 13 of 30 prior to that kick from beyond 50 yards over his career, and he's never that's never been his strong suit. I mean, we've talked about it a ton of times on this show that he can kick it really far, he just can't kick it very straight, and that's not anything that has anything to do with this slump. That's been his whole entire career, and I think if anything, that puts too much pressure on a guy who's already in a slump, and I mean, he seems to, a lot of times, McCarthy will coach like a baseball manager, where he'll just say, let's figure it out. You know, if you got a guy in a huge slump, or if you got something that's not working in baseball, you just keep going with it. You just Let see if it can work out. It out. It, yeah. And he seems to do that with a lot of different things, whether it's his offensive strategy, whether it's players that are in a slump. I mean, we've seen guys like Jermichael Finley drop a ton of balls, and he gets sent back out there on the next series. You can't do that in the NFL with 16 games. And I, I admire that he's trying to be a player's coach, and he's trying to support a guy, but I mean, you're not doing him any favors sending him out there to make a 55-yard field goal on the road in a stadium that's notorious for its win patterns. Um, that was a really stupid decision, honestly. I, 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 he had a lot of them yesterday, but that might have been the worst one. Mm-hmm. You know, other than that, like we said, pretty much all of it, you can't argue with any of it. Also with the, the Jermichael Finley stuff, I mean, I know we, we, we do rip on him a lot, and I think there's a good reason for it. I think Bethany touched on a couple of a key points, I think, with uh, the big one that bothers me is how this guy doesn't do more in the open field once he catches the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was extremely impressed with that tip ball that he caught. He bailed us out of another turnover there. Mm-hmm. But for a guy who is that athletic, I mean, he really has all the athletic ability of a guy like, I wouldn't say quite to the level of like Gronkowski or anything, but somebody who should be in the open field making guys miss, running over guys, and he just seems like really scared once he touches it. He's almost like a, a possession receiver, but at his size, it's, mm-hmm. it's really bizarre. Whenever see somebody that big just go down so easily. 
and I guess that's frustrating to me. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree. And for a guy who's touted as being so dynamic, other than last week, I don't remember the last time we saw him running in the open field like he was in that Arizona game. Um, I I don't know what it is with this guy, and maybe they're just not. Well, I guess they're sending him on double moves down the middle of the field. So he obviously yeah. sucks as a tight end since he can't get open on double moves down the middle of the field. <laughs> but no, I don't I don't know. I I think uh, it almost feels like with the new things they want to do with Randall Cobb, that now they have no idea what to do with Jermichael Finley if Cobb is doing what Finley used to do. Um, So, I don't know. I feel like, I don't think he's as good as he thinks he is, but I don't think he's as bad as his critics have said he is in recent years, if that's fair. Yeah, completely. I mean, he probably thinks he's the best player in the NFL, if you would ask him. I almost (laughs) guarantee that, but... He's kind of, it seems like what we're missing from this offense right now. We talk all day about we need to start throwing some more short routes, some slants, some comebacks. I mean, that's what, that was his specialty a couple mm-hmm. years ago, and that's what he was one of the best in the NFL at doing. And for whatever reason, it doesn't happen anymore. So maybe we do need to stop sending him down the field and let him just sit in the zone and try to beat that and catch some balls in the middle of the field. But uh, I think he can still be a weapon. Like you said, I think they need to refigure out how to utilize him again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, i got to agree with that. Um so I want to thank everybody once again for, for your comments. And, and now we're going to go to some of the other comments. I know people have made some some of their own posts on their own accord on our page, and we greatly appreciate that. So we're actually going to go through uh, the three most recent ones uh, of those, and uh, Matt is going to take us through that. All right, so Caleb posts on our wall here uh, that the Packers lost a game earlier this year over the refs not understanding the rules. The Lions might have lost a game yesterday because the refs had to enforce a new rule that bizarrely states it will try to get the call right, uh, unless the coach commits a minor penalty after the play. Do you feel bad for the Lions, or do divisional lines go further than <laughs> your sympathies? And this is a tough one for me. I, I don't know if you want to go first here with how you feel, but it, I'm really, really torn on this, actually. I think it's a great question. Yeah, I do, too. And uh, for those of you who may have not seen it, he's referring to the Thanksgiving game where the Houston Texans player had been knocked down. He was clearly down. He got back up and ran for a touchdown. And it was like a 70, 75-yard touchdown. And that actually allowed them to tie the game or get close to tying the game. And because Jim Schwartz challenged a play that is automatically challenged, the new rule is that's a personal foul, and then they no longer look at it. I know Mike McCarthy was busted for that earlier this year. And so that cost Detroit a touchdown in a game they ended up losing deep into overtime. Here's what I'll say about it. That's one of the stupidest rules I've ever heard of in my life. I mean, who thought of that? And what were they thinking when they wrote it down? And what were they thinking when they voted yes on it? I mean, that just is so stupid. It's like almost like a schoolyard thing or something like a mean teacher would do to you. Like you point out something <laughs> yeah. they did wrong. Well, I don't want to hear it from you, and now we're just going to go this way anyways. I mean, it just seems really dumb. Uh, I don't I don't imagine that rule will last through this next off season. But as far as feeling bad for the Lions, no. Uh, Jim Schwartz, the way he coaches, the way they sulked for a quarter and a half after that happened. Gunther Cunningham, who of course you know is a, is a model for for civility on the sidelines, anyways, uh, punts his clipboard, and they all just were sitting there with smug looks and being po'd the rest of the game. I have no sympathy for the Lions. It's a dumb rule, but if it had to screw somebody, I'm glad it was them. Yeah, you're right. With that last part you said, with the way that they play the game, I have really no sympathy for them. And the team probably, yeah, because it probably cost them the game. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, with the way the Lions are, the way they play, we I was getting so frustrated watching that game, watch them 
throw down guys after every play that weren't even involved in the play, mm-hmm. and somehow they weren't getting called at all, so they got bailed out a little bit anyways. But I know you already kind of ripped on the rule, so I won't really go there because I've heard that all day. But one thing I do want to talk about, you talked about the rule being dumb, which it is, but also how dumb are you as a coach if you don't know that rule? It's happened to other coaches this season. Okay, it's new, but you know that's the rule. You have to know that's the rule. That's part of your job. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to rip on Jim Schwartz a little bit here too and say, yeah, the rule is stupid, but as a head coach, you have to know better than that. It's not like it hasn't happened at all. So I think a lot of the blame goes to him too. So, again, I don't really feel bad for them because of this as well is because he needs to know that being a head coach in the NFL kind of requires you to know the rule. So um, that just adds to me not feeling bad for Detroit at all. Yeah, that's a good point. And obviously having mentioned McCarthy, I believe it was the Saints game when he was called for that. So it's not like he's setting any kind of precedent here. I mean, it's already happened. And so it's it's almost you almost expect that to happen to Jim Schwartz because he got wrong. So then he starts acting like a baby, and he probably just starts yeah. he he threw his flag, but he also probably threw his clipboard and his headset and a few backup players on the ground before the refs came over and told him he can't do that. So um, he's just a he's an immature guy, and I don't think he's that good of a football coach as this year has uh, shown. So. Hopefully he gets lost pretty soon because, well, maybe let him stay there. I don't mind the Lions sucking every year. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if they're going to keep playing the way they're playing, I mean, they're going to keep costing themselves with penalties, and so I I don't think they're a legitimate contender as long as he's around, so I'm fine with him staying there. <laughs> yeah, he just might be annoying this um, year. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's makes them easy to hate. Yeah. Our, uh, our next comment by Brian Dinsey was, He's got a few questions in here, so let's address maybe one at a time here. Mm-hmm. We we have kind of discussed this one a little bit, I believe, on a what-if segment. If, if they had been able to keep Holmgren around, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Eric, I don't know if you want to maybe touch on this a little bit, kind of a quicker answer than a whole what-if segment sure. here, but what you would think would have happened if they kept Holmgren around. Sure. Um, the big one for this, I think, is deciding how much differently it would have been because the Packers have not been unsuccessful since Mike Holmgren left. Uh, Obviously, other than, what, five seasons in the 14, 15 years that he's been gone, they've made the playoffs. So uh, they certainly have been very successful uh, since he's left. I guess the only decision is uh, what you think is going to happen maybe in that kind of year that was Ray Rhodes, Mike Sherman, when they still had kind of that core of the Super Bowl team together, and I guess how you think it's going to affect Brett Favre's legacy. They lost a lot of guys after 1998. I know those, uh, even members of the team, such as Mark Chimura, has argued that 1998 might have been a lot different if they had known Mike Holmgren was going to stay. That was a very stressful item for that team to work through. Uh, I think maybe he's somewhat right, but I don't think it's that much different considering that how good the Vikings were that year. They're still going to be a wild-card team, so I don't think that they probably would have been a Super Bowl winner anyways. And then they lost a lot of guys uh, in 1998. Whether Holmgren was staying or not, Robert Brooks was about to retire because he was beat up. Mark Chimura was beat up. You had Reggie White retiring. So I would think that if Holmgren stays, the history of the Packers or the future from 98 on would have been pretty similar to what it is now. And Mike McCarthy's obviously not the coach. Uh, I would say that some things are different. Obviously drafts are going to be different because in all likelihood Mike Holmgren would have eventually become the general manager. So I don't really know what's going to happen, but I think Holmgren's a really good coach. But I don't think he's one of those... He, he's one of those kind of middle really good coaches, like a Super Bowl winner, probably could have won more, but I don't think he's like a, a Chuck Knoll or a, or a Joe Gibbs or a Bill Walsh or Vince Lombardi. I think he's the tier below. So even with Favre a longer period of time, I don't see the Packers winning another championship with him. 
Yeah, and it, it's kind of like how long do you think he's going to stay around for, I guess. So if we're saying that they maybe never let him go, it would be curious to see how long they would have hung on to him for, too, or how much they would have put up with. You know, just assuming our seasons went the same as they did with him there, I wonder if they let go of him, you know, after the 2005 season or whatever when we struggled, or if they would have ever really let him go because he's, you know, was so popular around here. But mm-hmm. I agree. I don't think with what he does as opposed to, you know, maybe they get an extra win or something every season when instead of Ray Rhodes or Mike Sherman, but I don't think that with the talent that was here mm-hmm. that uh, it's going to be a ton different. Like you said, those players were still going to leave before 98 or, mm-hmm. or after that, I guess. So I, I don't think that, he, like you said, he's a, he was a great coach, but I don't think he was that big-time maker coach mm-hmm. as well that would have taken us to Super Bowls with those rosters. So mm-hmm. I agree. I think maybe a couple more wins a year, but not any more championships than we got. So No, and you got to think, too, just real quick before we end this, is uh, it's easy to think what the Packers might have done, but even with Mike Holmgren and the talent they had are similar to it, are they better than the Kurt Warner Rams? Are they better than Belichick and Brady? Are they better than Manning and the Colts? I, I don't think so. So I yeah, don't I, think there's a lot of room to win titles there. No, completely agree. Next question from Brian is... Uh, who is your favorite Packer of all time? And he says not including Brett Favre, which doesn't change my answer at all. I think, <laughs> but uh, maybe it does for you. Um, I don't know. It would be tough to put him as my favorite. I certainly have forgiven him much faster than people who were on the Rodgers, Ted Thompson, McCarthy side, like I was. So um, I don't know if that changes my answer. This is this is really hard. Um, my favorite Packer. I don't want to go and pick somebody from before I was around because I think that's kind of silly. I mean, you can if you want to. Uh, maybe silly is not the right word. But um, I would say my favorite Packer of all time. Honestly, it's hard to not pick Donald Driver. Um, he's just a really cool guy. He's he's a gutsy guy. He had a cool backstory. He's been here forever. Uh, that was one of my favorite things about seeing the Packers win the Super Bowl in 2010 is knowing that he got a Super Bowl ring. And so I would say that he's probably my favorite Packer. I'll throw a couple of honorable mentions out there just for other guys that I really like that I think were underrated and forgotten by Packer fans a little bit. Um, I really like, I know we probably didn't like him that much when he was around, but in hindsight, for guys I actually saw play, I really like Antonio Freeman too. I think he's an entertaining guy and he's a better receiver than he gets credit for. And I was always a huge Amon Green fan because although I've kind of changed my tune a little bit, back then old Brett Favre throwing interceptions scared the hell out of me and I wanted them to run with Amon Green 75 times a game. So I think Amon Green would be on that short list, but Driver's my favorite. And I'm going to actually agree with Driver there. Um, he's always been a guy that I've really looked up to. You know, being a receiver in high school, I looked up to him. And I remember when he first got to the Packers and watching him in training camp, I just started rooting for him. And I actually had a Packers Donald Driver jersey custom made for me before they were even sold, <laughs> before he was even really a big-time namer, before these Dancing with the Star bandwagoners came around. So. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, he's always been my favorite, and it, it's hard to see him with this diminished role, but I'm still going to go with him. You know, my favorite growing up was Leroy Butler, so maybe mm-hmm. he would be right there for me, too. But I think That's I'll go with one. Driver on this, too. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, yeah, Brett Favre, I, I'm one of the rare Packer fans that was never really a huge Brett Favre fan. I liked him a lot in the 90s when we were winning Super Bowls or going to Super Bowls, but I kind of struggled with him a lot from, like, 99 to 2006. Mm-hmm. And he finally kind of started to turn me around in 07 when he started playing better, turning the ball over less, but then he obviously did what he did. So mm-hmm. um, it was pretty easy for me to let him go personally. So he's not really near the top for me, I guess. Um, so I guess that wouldn't change my answer at all. But I'll go with Donald Driver. Yeah, just real quick on Favre, I think, uh, I think a lot of people are like that, and... I don't know, it would still be hard for me to say he's my favorite Packer, but 
I don't know. I can't really hate him either. And uh, if you read, I finally put up my blog post about my top five most hated Packer opponents. I talk a little bit, a paragraph or so, about Brett Favre and the Vikings and, and my honest feelings on that, having waited a few years now since since Brett Favre officially retired for good. But, um, yeah, he's just – he's. I have a hard time believing I'll ever see, for a team I root for, a more interesting, compelling uh, personality and player than Brett Favre. Uh, he might not be the best, but – Gosh, did he give us a lot to talk about? And when he was good, and I know that's been a while ago now, and and you know I've, I've been a collector, I, I've seen those a little bit more recently than some others. But when he was good, he was every bit as good as Aaron Rodgers has been the last few years. All right, Brian's next question there was two favorite non-Packers, past and present. So who are your two favorite non-Packers, both right now and then I guess of all time? Okay, um, my favorite non-Packer right now. Oh boy, um, I'm one of those people that doesn't like anybody that <laughs> doesn't yeah. play for the Packers until they're already retired. Um, geez, this is hard. I guess right now, I mean, it changes like literally weekly almost for me for these. I'll say the one I'm rooting for the most for non-Packers for the weirdest reasons is a guy I never really cheered for because he's so dominant. It's Peyton Manning. I really like Peyton Manning. I think he's a good guy, and I, I, I'm i glad that he's playing so well coming after his injury. So I probably would not have said that a few years ago, and I probably won't say that a few years from now. But right now, my favorite present non-Packer is probably Peyton Manning. All right. My present, I'm going to go with uh, my obvious choice, is Ray Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, if he was retired, he'd be my favorite all-time probably. I've, I've always loved him since he's been in the league, and, you know, we've talked about this a little before when he got injured i think it was but yeah my favorite non-packer for sure and i've always i've always thought he was really really interesting to kind of follow and i love his pregame speeches and i love how he plays so mm-hmm. uh, i think that's hands down ray lewis for me on the present one so i guess we'll move to the past one now uh, i can start with that one here uh this is sort of a tough one for me you know it's harder for people who are younger like us too because we've only really seen like two generations of players so mm-hmm. uh man i I think I might go Jerry Rice, just uh, being a receiver at heart, and I, I've always loved Jerry Rice. I was always a big Walter Payton fan growing up, too, for some reason, even though he was a bear. But I guess, considering we never really saw him play, I, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard for me to answer that one. So, I guess, you know, getting to say that we saw one of the best players of all time, and it, you know, even and we beat him most of the time, too, which was nice. <laughs> so, Jerry Rice never really killed us too badly, so I think I'll say Jerry Rice. Okay, well, I guess I'll follow your lead, and I'll throw two out here real quick of guys who I actually saw play and then guys I I didn't see play. As far as my favorite player that I did see play extensively, for some reason I've always been a huge Drew Bledsoe fan. (laughs) I always really cheered for him, and he's really interesting. I loved the Buffalo Bills when he was there. He even got me to cheer for the Dallas Cowboys when he started there for a few years. And uh, so... I, I always was a big Drew Bledsoe fan, so I'd say he was the one guy that I stuck with probably the whole time. I get favorites here and there, and then they fall out of my graces or whatnot for various reasons. So I think it helps that he lost to us in the Super Bowl, so yeah. I'll say Drew Bledsoe for a guy I saw extensively. And for a guy I didn't, I would have to say there was two guys, because Matt knows, because he's probably seen it 500 times. That means I've seen it 1,000. When we were little oh, and we yeah. first liked football, the tape that I bought, to watch during the offseason was called NFL 87. It was just a recap of the 87 season. Um, Matt and I were both born in 87, so we, we like to watch it. And one of the key things on there is the rivalry of Bernie Kosar versus John Elway. And as a little kid, I really liked both of those players. And they were they were two of my favorites just because of that segment. I used to like to pretend to be both of them. Of course, 
John Elway came back later in his career and beat us in the Super Bowl, and then he kind of fell out of my graces. I still like to watch him, but obviously that burns a little bit. So Bernie Kosar will be my favorite player of all time that I never saw actually play extensively. You might be the only non-Browns fan who would say that answer, but you've always kind of had an obsession with Bernie. Yeah, I love Bernie. Alrighty, so I guess for the last one here, that's all for Brian's questions here. And one thing we wanted to uh, to talk about here was Hayden Fleming, who was one of our Facebook followers and listeners, had a really good what-if segment that we can kind of talk about here quickly. We've sort of talked about the era a little bit here, so I think we're going to focus more on the actual playoffs here. And that is, I have a great idea for what-if segment. What if the Packers beat the Arizona Cardinals in the 2009 wildcard shootouts? So we've kind of talked about the long-term implications of this potentially. But I guess, where do you think the Packers go in that playoffs if they're able to get by Arizona? Thinking about this topic has always scared me, like legitimately gets me to the point where I'm too freaked out to think about it any further. (laughs) Because for me, the Packers are a much better matchup than the Cardinals were with the New Orleans Saints. And if the Packers end up beating the Saints, I think that the Vikings win the Super Bowl. I don't think Green Bay was going to beat Minnesota in the Metronome. I know the, the scores were semi-close in the end, but the Vikings crushed the Packers both times, essentially, when they played in the 2009 season. They, they had no answer for Brett Favre. They couldn't do anything, and their offense, if you remember both of those games, was completely stymied in the first half and then got on a run as the game was getting out of hand to make the final score look a little bit closer. Um, thankfully... I don't think they would have beat the New Orleans Saints, having looked at some of the statistics. Um, The Saints were one of the highest-scoring teams of all time. The Packers were pretty good that year, but their offense was really good, one of the best offenses in team history, but I still don't see how they would have beaten New Orleans, scored enough down in that dome. Uh, New Orleans was just dynamic that year. So I think maybe it flip-flops a few things. I think they give New Orleans a better game than perhaps the the Arizona Cardinals did because they got crushed. I think they lost by like four or five touchdowns. But I still don't think that they beat the New Orleans Saints. Uh, New Orleans was forcing turnovers like crazy on defense. And, of course, Dom's... You know, that was the quintessential Dom Capers year where we beat up on all the bad quarterbacks and every good quarterback we played tore us to shreds. So I think the Packers, if they beat the Cardinals, it's not much different, thankfully. Right, and I think that last point that you made there is one of the biggest ones for me is if if you can't stop Arizona and Kurt Warner, not that they were a bad offense, but how the heck do you expect to stop Drew Brees in the Superdome? You know, I think our offense was good enough to put up a lot of points on them there, mm-hmm. but I, I think that if you do beat Arizona and go to New Orleans, I think that we play a tighter game, but you know, maybe Aaron Rodgers gets hurt against the Bounty Saints or something like <laughs> yeah, that, too. So. I didn't think of that. But I think we play them tighter, but I don't think we win. I, with how bad our defense was against Arizona, I can't see it getting any better against Breeze. So mm-hmm. I, I think if we beat the Saints, I think you might be right, though. I think the Vikings probably could have outdone the Colts in the Super Bowl, which would have been a, a terrifying moment for Packer fans like me all over the state. Um, so I'm glad that didn't happen. So maybe, again... What always seems to happen to us in these what-if segments is we kind of think that what ended up happening is probably for the best because we avoided a a Brett Favre Minnesota Vikings Super Bowl. It would have been a good game against the Colts, but I think that they probably would have beat them. Yeah, no, I uh, like I said, I agree. That's and then you got Brett Favre has won as many championships for the Vikings as the Packers, and 
I mean, that almost, I mean, I know maybe you're not the biggest Brett Favre fan, but can you imagine what that would be like having to live with that? I mean, it would almost invalidate the whole 16 years he was here. <laughs> as it, it would have been that. a lot harder for him to come back. Oh, um, yeah. I know it hasn't happened yet, but it will, but it would have been a lot harder for him to come back here and uh, fall back into the good graces of people like me if he had, had won a Super Bowl with Minnesota. It probably would never have happened for me anyways. He might not have had to come back if he would have won a Super Bowl with the Vikings, because now all of a sudden he gets to go to all the reunions with all the Vikings greats, and right. he might not need Green Bay if he becomes the Vikings legend. Instead, now he's just kind of a, a mercenary who missed his final <laughs> shot. <laughs> right. Okay, so thanks everybody on Facebook, uh, Caleb, Brian, Hayden, uh, of course uh, Bethany, Drew, uh, Jay. Uh, thanks everybody for going to our page, for commenting and getting involved. And of course, if you would like to get involved again, you can go and of course, if you haven't gotten involved before, uh, what are you doing? Go to Facebook right now. That's Green and Gold Forever Podcast. You can type us a comment. You can also tweet at us, at Green Gold Forever. That's the number four. Or give us a comment underneath this podcast you're likely listening to now at our Podbean page. Uh, Green Gold Forever. That's the number four dot podbean dot com. Likely, if you're hearing this podcast, you already know how to get there. But I just thought I'd help you out. Uh, so interact with us and get your topics discussed on the show or get your comments read on the show. So thanks everybody for listening and uh, thanks for commenting. Uh, next up, we have the Minnesota Vikings, who themselves had quite a beatdown at the hand of the Chicago Bears yesterday. It's in Green Bay. We have four division games left for the Green Bay Packers. Matt. What are your expectations? Are the Packers going to come out roaring and recover from this, or is it going to be another dogfight with a team who has some capable pass rushers? I think it's the latter. I, I think it's a game we're going to win, but I think it's going to be a tough one. And I think, like you said, the, the front four is pretty good for them, uh, and I think their offense is at least good enough. It, it scares me going in to see Adrian Peterson there again. I, I know he's back and rolling, and if there's something that we struggle at, it's it's been stopping the run lately. So. Having to see him on the other side, I think he's been one of the best running backs in the league this year. So Mm -hmm. if we can maybe slow him down a little bit, force Ponder to throw, I think obviously that gives us the best chance. But I I think Percy Harvin is expected to play next week, if I'm not mistaken. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's another dimension we have to worry about. So I think it's a win for us, but I think it's another tough one. I Let's see here. If I'm going to give out a score, I think I'm going to say maybe 30 to 21, something like that. Okay. Yeah, I agree. It's it's kind of scary, but I think Christian Ponder makes it a little less scary. Right. Uh, I almost have no idea what to expect from this team. Uh, it feels like two seasons ago when we played the Vikings last, uh, just because we played them, you know, three weeks apart last year, both pretty early in the season. There's been so much that has happened since then. I mean, we've played the Giants three times since we've last played the Minnesota Vikings, so... Um, it's kind of strange. The Vikings have really matured since then, but I still think they can beat them. I'm not so confident about the last game of the season at the Metrodome, but I think they can beat them here. So I will say, uh, weather permitting, I guess, <laughs> I think that the Packers can beat the Vikings. I'll say 27-17. to 17. All right, so that about wraps it up for another week of Green and Gold Forever. Thanks for listening in and uh, hearing us talk about a pretty depressing game yesterday. So we'll see you next week. Hopefully we'll have better news to share and better things to discuss. And if you want to go over to our Podbean page, I also have a blog post that you can read or you can uh, just listen to the podcast and comment on that as well. So thanks, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday. Take care, everyone.